0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.
1: Welcome back to the Messy Truths conversations on photography. In this episode, I'm chatting to Diana Marcosian. Diana is known for her intimate approach to storytelling. And in this conversation, we talk about her journey, her process, and what photography means to her. We also talk about her first monograph, Santa Barbara, recently published by Aperture, in which she describes as a kind of time machine. The project is a deeply personal recreation of the story of her family's journey from post-Soviet Russia to the US in the 1990s. Diana is one of those photographers at the forefront of pushing the boundaries of the medium, and I've long admired her fluid way of thinking and working. The camera is in many ways a therapeutic tool for her. She really uses it to navigate emotion, trauma and growth both her own and that of the strangers that she encounters on assignments. There's also this really great dynamic participatory act to her way of working, which I find really exciting. And most importantly, she is a master of connecting deeply with a story. For her, to be a photographer is to be vulnerable, and that really resonates with me. It feels like the camera is such a therapeutic tool for you. It feels like throughout your life, you've kind of used it to navigate emotion and selfhood and, and trauma to some degree and, and personal growth and both that of your own, but also of the strangers that you might encounter on assignments. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your relationship with the camera and how it kind of enables you.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think it would just... I never really expected photography to be something so deep. I, you know, so much of the time it's, it's, it's kind of like a relationship, right? You really don't quite know why someone is entering your life. And, and yet you understand that, that each person has a real presence and changes your, your world. And I think that's sort of how these stories and people have been for me Each project has come in at a very specific moment in my life and it's really helped me evolve as a person it's made me a better person and you know i saw that in chechnya i was 21 when i flew to chechnya for the first time it was terrifying because i was one of the only girls that i knew who would even you know really dare to 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 be there let alone alone and reporting during an insurgency, making images while, you know, people would be terrified to be on the street. And there's something that felt so familiar, so at home. With And I think it was really the people, because, you know, that's also where I come from, the Caucasus. So there was something very familiar to it. And everyone just took me in and made me feel a part of their their you know home and their space in a way that I, I never felt in California or America um, so I stayed I stayed there for a few years and I just remember being there at a time when the second war had just finished and people couldn't they, they didn't have an outlet and I became an outlet for them and I remember just sitting with a group of girls in their kitchen just listening to their stories and thinking, wow, this is so far removed from my life. And little did I know how traumatic my own story was going to be. But I think, you know, that early experience um, gave me the bandwidth to be able to confront my own, my own narrative Um with empathy because I started seeing my family and my own story as as in a similar way I guess to the way I would approach another subject and I say subject because it's almost the way I've had to look at my own family in order to approach it with love Mm, that's really interesting it's it's long
1: fascinated me how you find kind of a, a thread or or a pathway to a story because it always feels so intimate, whether it's your own story or whether it's the work like the stories of others, as you were kind of just describing, and it feels like you kind of find some some truly deep connection, like almost like a sense of yourself in the in the story. I don't know if that kind of resonates for you, but I'm curious kind of how you arrived at this way of working in terms of just building those very personal relationships with your with your subjects.
2: I guess it's an element of vulnerability. I'm, you know, for me to be a photographer, to be an artist is to be vulnerable. And I think that's the way I've approached every project I've taken on. And I think if I'm not that, it shows in my photography, and if I don't care, it shows because I don't think to me, I don't look at my work and think ah i'm 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 you know good at this. I've never looked at my work and thought i'm I'm good at this. I look at my work, and when it's you know at a place that I'm okay with it, I think you yeah, know i I see myself here. I see a part of myself here. I think that to me is always the point of understanding whether something is good or not, or something is interesting. Because if I don't see myself in an image, I know that I wasn't present. And I think that vulnerability is 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 the difference. And you know, it's difficult. Not every project is is one that I choose. Not every project is one that I really relate to. But it's finding that in. What is that in for me? What, what, what is it that I can really relate to? And what can I bring to this? And if I can't answer that, I shouldn't be assigned this or I shouldn't be taking this on. I shouldn't be pursuing this. And it's again, it's, it's not always so linear, but I think the challenge that I get really turned on by is how do I, how do I find myself in this? And how do, I, how do I craft it and make it really my own? I love that. I think that's so powerful.
1: I meet so many young photographers who are struggling to sort of find themselves within the work. And I think you just sort of perfectly distilled what it's about. It's really that vulnerability is so vital, and then finding yourself in the story somehow, which is certainly not an easy endeavour. But um, that, yeah, you sort of sum that up so beautifully. There's also this really participatory aspect to your approach, which I think is really exciting. And this plays out in your personal work in a very profound way, which we can talk about a little bit later. But I'd love to hear about how that dynamic works within your assignment work as well.
2: Yeah, I think one project that comes to mind is School Number 1 and I landed in Vladikavkaz which is about an hour and a half away from uh Chechnya the republic and I got in a taxi and the driver was telling me about the 10th year anniversary of Beslan and how um and how he just he was just describing vividly every the, the, he was describing vividly what had happened that day. And I asked him if we could drop by the school because he talked about how the school like, is still present and it remains a symbol for the community. And, you know, 10 years prior, there was a school siege where terrorists took everyone under hostage for three days and uh, 384 people were killed. And it was just this really, uh, uncomfortable traumatic painful terrorist plot and he was explaining to me the just the 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 effects of it and how it's never really left him so we we dropped by the school and i never made it to chechnya after that i just i realized that the story was really there and i ended up renting a home uh, for a month in Vladikovkaz and Beslan was about 20 minutes away from from there and started this project where i was finding survivors of the school siege who were my age and i remember specifically being in california and watching the news when i was you know 14 or so and seeing kids my age in in this gym stuck under hostage and it was just it was just so so real in a way that um I couldn't believe that a decade later I was now in that gym and found myself in a completely different role not not as a kid but as an artist as a journalist as a photographer um and as a woman I it felt so eerie (laughs) in a very real way and I I stayed there for a month, and I had this assignment with Time Magazine, started meeting survivors of the school siege, and started making portraits of them, and realizing how passive those portraits felt. They felt, they, they just didn't represent what experiences these kids had a decade ago, and I was speaking with a lot of friends, a lot of um, family members, the survivors themselves, and then met therapists who worked with the survivors. And the therapist told me about these drawings that the kids had made um, right in the aftermath, just as a way of processing what happened to them. The therapist had those drawings, and I started looking at the drawings and finding the kids who made those, those pieces. And once I found the kids... And we sat together. You know, again, they're my age today, so it felt very natural and and beautiful to have them participate in creating this piece of work. And this is this is now two thousand and fourteen that I made this project. So, the idea of Time Magazine, uh, specifically Phil Bicker, commissioning me to do this project felt really groundbreaking because we weren't approaching this in a very traditional way. We were creating a piece of art and I wasn't doing it alone. We had, you know, a dozen or so authors helping me understand what happened a decade ago. That felt exciting. That felt different because I started to understand how how much more I could say when I involved the people who were really... The, the authors of their story, they were the narrators of their, of their story. And who am I to say what happened 10 years ago when I was, you know, in my living room in Santa Barbara, California, uh, whereas I became just, in a way, the facilitator of their, of, of their narrative. And that felt really interesting. And I felt that I could empower them and empower the work and be a little more honest with, with the work. So I think that helped me understand how I could move forward with my personal work and trying to approach it in a way that didn't feel so literal. Yeah, it feels like you're
1: very much one of those photographers at the forefront of pushing the boundaries, certainly of documentary photography, but also photography in general in terms of this kind of collapse of different genres and I I really love how fluid your ideas are around what photography can be. I wondered where you feel like the space of your work occupies because it to me it feels like such a shapeshifter it doesn't really land in one space which is what is so exciting about it but I'm curious if you feel the same or you feel like it it is rooted within a very specific context.
2: Yeah I think the early work was rooted in documentary photography. I think the then it started evolving into more fine art. Um, you know, to me, it's a mix between documentary and conceptual, and which is challenging to place because I think if I was after graphic images and just really the visuals of it, I would be thinking differently about photography. I would be motivated by different, you know, um, even moments within an image. But for me, it's really after the story and, and finding a new way of, of, of visualizing that story. And that new way isn't always a visual way. And that's something I've had to come to terms with because, you know, I, it has to be visual. It has to be visual. I'm a photographer, I'm an artist. But at the same time, I'm not turned on by that. And I see that within myself, whereas, you know, maybe five, even 10 years ago, I was so excited by the single image, by the aesthetics, by the colors, by the composition. That is so irrelevant to me today. What I'm excited by is concept, vulnerability, um, saying something different, bringing in different mediums, bringing in different collaborators try to really understand a story and dissect it to its core to understand the right approach to really express something different in me. That's not always a photograph. And that's been really hard to come to terms with because I think there's an expectation that happens of, oh, is this a Diana image? Oh, can we get Diana to do this? And, you know, you become known for a style and I just never wanted to be known for a style or a, or my location. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be assigned because I'm in London or California. I want to be assigned because there's nobody else who could do this except her. And that is a very, that's, that, that, that feels like a goal to reach, you know, and that's what I've been working towards for a decade.
1: Yeah, it's so powerful. It's so exciting, I think. It's a really <laughs> interesting space to occupy when you have such a strong sense of yourself. And it, and it's really interesting also just to hear about you talk about kind of what your concerns were early on and how they've shifted. That really resonates for me in such a personal way, because I feel like I've very much been on that journey earlier this year. And I think prior to this year, even though a lot of the work that I was involved in was, was kind of always had like a conceptual element, I think I was even though I've been doing this for a really long time, was so focused on the aesthetics and, and the visual language. And it really, something really clicked for me um, actually early on in the pandemic. And suddenly none of those things matter to me anymore. And it's it, it almost felt overnight. I look at work in such a different way and I have such a different emotional connection to work. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. I'm super excited to talk about your new book, Santa Barbara. And you've described it as a kind of time machine of sorts. (laughs) And the project is is so deeply personal, and it manifests as an exhibition, a book a film and it's kind of this recreation of the story of your family's journey from russia to to America in the nineties and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what motivated you to make this work and kind of what questions you were seeking to answer
2: yeah it's it's I remember reading obama's um book about his father and in the beginning of the book he talked about his mom and he said had he known what he knows now about his mother the book would have really been about his mom and when I was in Armenia spending time with my father I was reading that book and that resonated with me and that that never really loved me so when I started thinking about my mom and we just started having these honest conversations about how we arrived to America. You know, I always understood that it was never in the cards for us because I was never kept from the the reality that we that that we were poor in Russia, that we had nothing, that we were so desperate that my brother and I were picking bottles, selling them. I was always aware of where we came from and living in California didn't help me forget that. It made it even more pronounced because I was surrounded by people who I had nothing in common with and transported there overnight. So that leaves you feeling a bit out of place for most of your life. And I think my mom wasn't ready to talk about this for a very long time about how we managed to come to America. I always felt like I understood that it wasn't. Something she was very proud of. And once we started unpacking it, I started to really feel for her, but also I, there was so much anger in me. You know, she was 35, she wanted to leave, get out of what our circumstances were. She placed an ad through a local agency, like so many other women at the time, desperate for something more. And the ad basically said that, you know, she was she was a young woman from Russia and wanted to see America and was seeking a man who could help her when she arrived. So for her, it was more of a pen pal rather than, you know, a, the formality of a mail order bride. But I think that in itself felt uncomfortable to my mom because here she was with a PhD with, you know, being what Americans consider the valedictorian of her class reduced to this form of desperation and raising us as a single mom all of her dreams gone work gone <laughs> marriage gone i mean it was just like every failure in the book and it wasn't how she had set up her life so coming to terms with that as a daughter of just hearing her reality was was Fascinating, sad, and painful. And at the same time, then seeing it more as a daughter of, wow, you kept this entire thing from me for so many years. 20 years, I didn't know the real truth of how we came here because for so many years, she had told me that this man was just a family friend who was going to help us out. You know, I remember seeing him at the airport when we arrived to America and he was. This very old man with holding flowers, a blue windbreaker, these new balances. I mean just like the classic grandfather and thinking, hmm, who who is this? And I remember asking my brother, and he goes, I don't know, but mom says he's gonna help us. So I grew up with with a narrative that was very surface level, very safe. And when I started to understand what my mom really had to go through so we would have something more, that hit on another level.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels the whole project is so moving, but in particular, the ideas around the profound sacrifices your mother made to become an American. And it feels... Um, even charged for me as a viewer, like reading and, and and absorbing the work, it just feels like it opens up so many lines of inquiry from everything from parenthood to immigration, fantasy, desire, the ideas of freedom and and also this sort of big tension between reality and fiction i'm i'm curious do you do you ever feel like you need to draw a line in terms of what you share or what you reserve for yourself privately about your your own life or is or is the real strength and kind of lifeblood of the work in the action of you being utterly vulnerable and an open book to some degree.
2: Yeah, Somebody else asked
1: me this recently.
2: It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I just don't know how else to be. You know, I, I, I say that with, with um, honesty, because I just, when I decide to unpack something as, personal as this, it's full throttle. It's all of me. I have to get to the bottom of of the story of really understanding what this means to me. I don't think I could talk about it. I I know that I wouldn't be able to talk about this last year. I wasn't able to talk about this for many years. (laughs) And I think the project really led me to a moment where I've normalized it and There's so much that I'm not talking about, but there's this feeling in me that if I'm not ready to speak about it, I I shouldn't have made this work and I shouldn't have done all of this to, to get to this moment. Because I remember last year, you know, this project has been in the works for three years and whenever I've explained it to somebody, you know, they've just said, oh, could you do this panel or could you be, could you do this? tour with us to really talk about the story. And I remember thinking for three years, the idea of that not only felt overwhelming, but I would just, um, it, it it was so painful that I would just be in tears thinking about the idea of sharing the story with anybody else. It really took This amount of time to process it to get to this point of being able to talk about it in a way that feels like a story somebody else's story and and you know I think that vulnerability if I'm not ready to to talk about I shouldn't really be doing this
1: it's really interesting isn't it because your your response when I asked you the question is is obviously completely valid but I can't help but think about I mentor so many photographers, particularly young photographers, but I've mentored photographers at all stages of their career. And I think mentoring en masse, like hundreds and hundreds of people, has made me realise that the biggest barrier to making great work is not being vulnerable, is, is not really being in your truth. And obviously your story is like everybody's story it is completely unique to you but your story is particularly dramatic for for less of a better word but I think that that how you're talking about the work and and, and that really profound and uncomfortable at sometimes vulnerability is what it takes to make great work and I I'm I'm so constantly trying to articulate this to people when I'm mentoring like you've just got to go deeper like so much work is is so is so surface driven. And even when it's trying to untangle something kind of powerful or, or difficult or challenging or interesting, something that speaks to the human condition, you can feel it's on the surface, but someone just hasn't pushed deep enough. And I think that really everything you just described is the essence, in my opinion, of what makes great work. And it and it's not comfortable a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, I you know, I think there was there were different waves or different chapters in this work. And I think had I stopped at the first chapter where it was just a reconstruction in California, I think we'd be having a different conversation. I think I went through, I really, really went through it and to the point where this now feels like a story and it still hurts. It really still hurts because I, you know, I I feel that, I've had to really accept that my family isn't this perfect manicured family that you know it's not it's not the sort of family that I want my boyfriend to enter and have Thanksgiving with. I've had to accept the fact that you know uh, you know my wedding day will probably be a shit show of both my parents seeing each other for the first time in 30 years after my mother took us away you know when i was 7 like yeah, god knows what that's going to be like i've had to come to terms with the fact that it's just not it's 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 not the ideal version of what a family could be should be um you know and and i've accepted that i haven't fallen in love with it frankly you know there's a part of me that still wishes that i I had a family that, you know, everyone could come over for Thanksgiving or what, whatever Americans love doing with their families. And I've just never had that. And it's always been a bit different. And you know, I, I, I think art has been so accepting of that difference for me. And perhaps that's why I feel so at home with making things, because I feel for the first time in my life seen and okay and and fascinated by the things that aren't beautiful and black and white they're they're very gray and that gray feels like the the perfect color for the for, to, to to describe how complicated and layered and uncomfortable all of it feels.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't actually really get to grips with what it must have been like to make this work, because you're obviously digging from your own experiences and memories as your kind of research materials. But then you're also navigating the responsibility of not just kind of documenting your your story or your family's story, but in particular, your mother's story. And, and the responsibility that comes with telling someone else's story, which obviously you're very well versed at in your documentary work as well. But how, how was that experience in terms of navigating, you know, the physical and literal and emotional weight of all of that subject matter? Did you have actions that you had to do to like give yourself a bit of a mental break throughout the process of working on this project?
2: Oh God, I wish I did. I wish I learned from my time with my father that I would need help while i was making something but i didn't i didn't learn because i had no help <laughs> i i was just very alone in all of it and and you know internalizing it and working with a writer to process it but it was so when i started to understand the things that my mom had to go through as a woman that's when it hit me on another on another level and that's what's not in the book, right? That's what's that's what I don't really talk about. And that's the respect and just the care that I need to give to her as a, as a person as a, and as my mom. And you know, I, I think for me this project came to life the moment everyone was cast and the process of casting took a year and a half, 384 women to play my mother. It was like speed dating, meeting everybody for coffee, auditioning them, just really trying to peel back these layers. Can you really walk my mom's footsteps? And that that was the most challenging because I knew exactly what I was looking for, yet I couldn't find it. And I thought I was you know i th- i th- I thought I would never find it i it you know, felt like the, the unicorn that it's the sort of thing that you look for when you're you're finding love it's It's so I can't even describe it it's just I knew exactly that feeling of what it would look like when I saw Svetlana. and the moment everybody was cast is the the is when it felt the most real. And that felt the most painful because for, for a minute, for a moment, for, uh, for, you know, an instance, I just had the entire family back and it felt uncomfortably real. And to the point where my mom entered set, she bumped into Jean Jones, who was playing my stepfather. She ran to me in tears and she said, Eli is here. And I go go, mom and she at that point you know I, I I knew some things about Eli so I knew it couldn't be Eli and I just said to her mom it's not Eli and she goes no I saw him and she 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 you know she it just felt so uncomfortable the moment I just explained to her that that's the actor it just felt I just remember my mom that entire time on set she came for one day shaking the entire time. I think she just saw her life really reflected. (laughs) And, and she, she, you know, she told me she saw Ani, the actress playing my mom. And she said, I just felt sorry for her because I saw her still in that apartment and I knew how miserable she was. And you know, that to me was the success of the work. It wasn't really the photographs, the book, the film. That's just so much of that is the product of the work. The success of the work really was finding the right people who could understand and then, I guess, perform because it is a performance and relive. It is a reenactment. So that to me was the the, the moment where I thought, okay, wow, we I'm so happy we waited. I'm so happy we gave this this much thought because if my mom sees herself in this woman, I've done, I'm that much closer to being, to to doing this in a way that feels honest.
1: You also invited your family to participate in the work, didn't you? And one of the ways you did that was allowing them to feedback on the script, which sounds (laughs) like it must have been a really fascinating reveal in itself in terms of, just the human contradictions of memory and lived experience and how different people can remember one thing. So, so, uh, radically differently. How, how was that as an experience as part of the making of this work?
2: Gosh, it was entertaining because I, <laughs> I, you know, to, to start with, I, I had the script, I flew to Armenia, sat with my dad, you know, we've known my dad and I at this point have known each other, um, for a good six, seven years, and you'd think by now he knows the whole story in and out. He didn't know anything I really not only was I not ready to talk about it, um you know i was he didn't know where I grew up he he didn't know any of any of any of these details, so I read the script with him, and as I'm reading, I'm seeing him process all of it. I gave him a pen, and I just said, "Why don't you?" Why don't you just um, tell me what happened? So he started reading the script, editing it. And then I flew back to California. (laughs) I took the script to my mom and just gave it to her. And just, she was so shocked. She just started crossing out all of his lines. She goes, what is he thinking? (laughs) And just, you know, the sort of, it was just so beautiful because I understood how I was the messenger in this instance, and how I was just delivering, you know, a piece of mail that that, that all of a sudden was going to be torn apart. And then taking it to my brother, you know, and you'd think this is my best friend. We were on the same airplane together, and half of the things he didn't even remember or, you know, remembered things completely differently. And it frustrated me because not only did I... Did I think that my version was the right version? But it frustrated me that all three of these people saw things completely differently and that I was never going to get to the truth of it. And that's kind of when I sat with myself, whose truth am I going to pick? Am I going to pick the kid who didn't even, you know, who essentially was carry on luggage in this story because I was just taken on this flight, you know. Uh, blindly. We're going on a trip. I didn't even know we're going to America. Or am I going to take, you know, the storyline of a woman who took the reins and really made something of herself and changed my life and my brother's life and everybody's life for better or worse, just really is the protagonist of this story. And this powerful force, this courageous you know, single mom, I was more fascinated by her as a character because my thinking was, who does this? Who does this? Mm. You know, I come from a culture of, you know, you live behind the man. That's the, you know, is the the term uh, to get married for a woman to be behind the man. So what and then to be Armenian and a single mom living in Russia. I mean, there's just so many fascinating layers. And to see my mom's personality do 180, where she just wasn't going to be defined by this. And that was interesting to me, a lot more interesting than my story. So I took that script as a rough draft of the script that I wrote with Linda Miles um who was the writer of Santa Barbara and really framed it from my mom's point of view i wanted the reader to fall in love with my mom and to be on her team through and through this story so you would never question why she did this you would be you would understand why she did that and that's what it took for me to make this i had to really fall in love with my mom's story and to not see myself as a victim but see her as a hero which she truly is
1: (laughs) it's impossible not to fall in love with her I think
2: right I I think as a kid you know you're also seeing it very differently right like I was separated from my dad for 15 years I think there was a real sacrifice and a real I think my mom single-handedly taught me what it meant to be hungry for something and to not be defined by something and to really make my own way in life. And I'll never, you know, you can't be taught that, you know, by reading a book, you, it's, it's a learned experience. And, you know, I I think I I really am thankful to her for for that. I think there's been a lot of growth that had to happen for me to be able to do this project from her point of view.
1: Yeah. I was curious in terms of this way that you work so openly and collaboratively, how do you feel about your own authorship over the work or is, or is the concept of like individual authorship kind of an, an outdated way of thinking about your work? Is it vital that it is this collaborative experience?
2: It's um, an interesting thought. I, I think for me it only gets better when it's collaborative it only gets more interesting. There's more depth to it when there's more people involved. That's maybe why I like film so much. You know, you're working with a production designer, costume designer, set designer. You have a cinematographer. So another eye on an experience that you both, you know, hopefully are seeing in a similar way. Or maybe the DP is elevating your vision, which is something that I can't get enough of. Because I I think just this feeling that your work will improve the work will improve it because it's not really your work the work will improve feels exciting to me and I think that's what I've just learned from Santa Barbara is it can get so much more interesting when you have more resources behind you for sure
1: yeah I mean I, th- I think the idea this like solo author is is kind of redundant a little bit in photography hmm. now i think as you as you said like this layering and richness that can be brought and this elevation that can be brought through collaboration is just so vital i think for the medium hmm. So in terms of the project, it's really a combination of kind of stage scenes, film stills, family pictures, this like hybrid of sort of personal and documentary storytelling. And I wondered what kind of motivated you to um, use this combination of material and how it functions for you as a storytelling device.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to understand um you know when you're starting a project what the project's going to look like at least for me I don't approach it in in terms of knowing okay we're going to have these these different elements I think for me I approach it in okay we need to start we need to start somewhere and you know with this with this piece it was kind of starting with writing down a few of the memories that I had um, simplifying, 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 like what are we going to start with that makes the most amount of, the, what what feels um, just natural. And I, I think one of the first shoots that we had was at my school because I looked at a photo that we had made um, when we first moved to America. It was our first photo in America. And it was this portrait of the three of us, my mom, my brother and I, in front of my first school. And Eli made that portrait, so I took the family back. You know, we made that portrait again with the new family, and then just started making images there and I tried to use each kind of moment as a starting point to something more, so maybe it wasn't even a memory, it was an emotion, maybe it wasn't an emotion, but it was a crafted memory that we're now kind of re reimagining. Um I think the locations were really important for me because that was the starting point. And then then we expanded and it, it, the project had about 6 different shoots, so and each shoot would last about a month. So it spanned over the course of a year and um with each um shoot you know not 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 day daily shoot but with each kind of production month we really try to focus on a chapter of the story so maybe this is the wedding and this is the wedding and divorce so we did that in a month Um, this is the honeymoon and the holiday so we did that each chapter had a dedicated theme and we would just start pushing the different locations and really crafting the scenes based on the themes that we were focusing on.
1: And a big part of this, which we haven't really touched upon, is this kind of duality between your real story, but also the influence of Santa Barbara, the, the TV show, which was... Am I right in thinking it was like the biggest American soap import in Russia when you guys were growing up?
2: Yes, yeah, so it was the first. So the Soviet Union collapsed in December 91, The next month in January, um, the soap opera came on and it was a window to another world. You know, we we really had never seen anything like it. And just America was so good at, at providing this image of a world that didn't belong to us. And we were seduced. I just remember as a kid feeling so excited by anything having to do with America. My brother and I found a trash bag outside with the American flag, just you know, took it, brought it to our balcony, um, in Moscow, hung it on the tree. It was a birch tree. And I, I you know, for months, I don't think we ever took it took it down. There was an American flag outside of our Soviet building. <laughs> and wow. you know, we there was this dream that felt so real only in america my brother i remember would tell me only in america and all these you know ideas of what america was going to going to be and wonder years also came on and we i used to watch um that quite a bit and i remember they had a piñata and on the birthday they were smashing his piñata and david said you see ziana on on your birthday in America everybody's going to celebrate and i remember coming to via valley that was the first school in santa barbara and it was my birthday nobody knew <laughs> and I, I i remember thinking oh my gosh what a lie this is this is really <laughs> this is really something else and coming back to the house and thinking then telling my brother you know nobody celebrated there was no piñata and he goes well yeah what do you expect this isn't wonder years <laughs> so you know <laughs> he was much older than me so i think he you know the he was more accepting of like the differences but i mean we were just so infatuated and in awe of what america was and you know when we came to the states it really it delivered because again we're coming with nothing and from nothing. The closest thing I had to a Barbie doll in Russia um, was a piece of paper that I had written on that said, I want a Barbie that bends its legs because that's what they told us at church, that we had to just write our wishes on a piece of paper and they would someday come true. Um, you know. And then coming to America and Eli, within the first two days, buying me a Barbie. It's like everything we were so purchased and it was so subtle. You know, it's I just remember those first days of being in the States and thinking we were in paradise and I never want to leave.
1: As someone who has obviously lived in America for a really long time, you're really familiar with the culture, but also, you know, in the context of your story, what is your personal thoughts on this idea of the American dream? Because it's just so potent. (laughs) I'm curious, like, yeah, how you feel about it, having lived in that world in sort of several different ways and, and different capacities and different times in your life.
2: Yeah, I think I think timing is really is really important because I think we're looking at the mid 90s uh, and talking about the American dream. It's really different, you know, 20 years later and politics shapes it, you know, media shapes it. films shape it. There's just so many different things that shape, you know, what a dream is believed to be. I think for me today, when I think about the dream, I think about sacrifice. And I think about how, you know, I've I've traveled quite a bit with with work and it's been so hard for me to understand how just limited, you know, our understanding was of what America was. It's just there's so Mm -hmm. many that. There's so much pain that comes with that dream and such a sacrifice that comes with the dream. And I don't think I really fully understood that. Obviously, I didn't understand that. And I think that that's been the hardest thing to reckon with. So there's been a bit of bitterness, like just thinking about what it took to become an American. And was that really worth it? You know, there's a war... In Armenia right now, and it's it's hard. I have a father who lives there. I have my entire family live there, and I'm so removed from it, and I feel so helpless by it. And I that feeling of not being with your family feels like that ultimate sacrifice we had to pay, and I don't think that's worth it. And Again, I think it's very different to be sitting here, you know, 20 years later kind of assessing things versus the mid-90s when we really had nothing to eat. And I mm-hmm. think my mom made the right decision. I think she had no decision to make. That was the o- that was the only thing that she could have done for us. And I think today, if I'm looking at it, it's a bit of a different, you know, understanding of it. It, it just, it hurts. It just, it really hurts because you also, you know, go, you know, when I'm walking in California, it's, there's more people, it's just, there's this feeling that there's more people living outside on the street than there are inside. There's just this, the population, the homeless population is just so real and growing. And, I'm, you know, is that the American dream? Is that the dream that I want to have a family in? Is that the place that I want to do that in? Like, it makes me question everything and it just makes me feel sad. I think mm-hmm. pity. I pity America right now because I feel like it's going through a real reckoning. And I think we're in a different point in history and in time where you can't you know, you can't mask that with media anymore. You know, we can't watch Santa Barbara. We can't watch Wonder Years, Pretty Woman, all of these, you know, shows and films and think that we're going to be entering the best place on earth. That doesn't exist anymore. We we know too much. In
1: making this work, do you feel like you've metabolized some of your life experiences? Do you feel like you've found any solace or liberation from the questions that you had when you began to make the work?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I think I, I don't feel burdened by this story. I don't feel embarrassed by this story, defined by this story. I feel free from this story. And I think that sense of freedom is what my brother feels, what my mom feels. I think there's this feeling of being okay with with what happened and understanding that no family is is immune to any of these things that I've that I've touched upon divorce, you know, um betrayal, just it's it's part of life and I think we tend to lie to ourselves and live in this version of denial of pretending that things are just fantastic. And I think Instagram is the best thing for it. You know, it's our version of that propaganda that, Mm. you know, that everything's just great. And there's a bit of just sadness. I feel to that because I think how much we need to be distracted so much to not confront reality that maybe, you know, maybe things aren't great. And, and, um, I think I've never been interested in what's good. And I don't like that necessarily in my personality, but I, I just love digging and understanding and, and really looking at problems head on instead of kind of being a little more passive or just masking it. So I think with this project, it's, been such a gift in my life and I did it you know right as I was turning 30 and that felt really symbolic to me I just felt like wow there's something I'm not a kid anymore you know I'm not I'm I'm young but I'm not this young gun photographer at 21 who's working in Chechnya I'm not that at all and I don't want to be that at all you know I I see how I've changed in the last decade and I don't think I could have ever done this project um, before this 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 time you know I my heart wasn't there my there wasn't enough depth and life in me to be able to see this story from my mom's point of view and it's like like I said in the beginning about people coming in at the right time and projects come in at the right Mm -hmm. time they they find you when you need them and I think that that's been very true for me.
1: Your work, not just Santa Barbara, but so many of your projects have been so well received. I'm curious how you deal with or if you feel pressure to kind of follow up once you've had that experience.
2: Um, no, it, it doesn't really hit me when something's been received well, or the fact that it's doing well. You know, I think with Santa Barbara's had a bit of attention and like, and that's, Important for the work. I think the work and me as a person feels very separate I think me as a person is just thinking Hmm, you know, I I'm interested in in looking at the at, the, at this thing. and I'm interested in doing this I just I just want to keep building I I really don't get Interested in that um, the PR of it, you know, I, I mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to say it's not important because I think for the work it's important. But for me personally, it's not. And I think that that is a real difference because I don't internalize it. For me, what's really important right now is starting this print sale, raising money for Armenia and trying to find a way to give back to my family because I'm not able to really be of any support real tangible support for them on the ground that feels important to me um and that feels like i have a I have a bit of pressure to to deliver there because it's so urgent um the rest of it is just you know i never got into photography for that i never became a photographer for any of that and and certainly it doesn't motivate me to do more you know, because something's been received well.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's anything you've had to unlearn throughout your career that you maybe came into the work, you know, having certain expectations or, or ideas about what photography had to be?
2: Yeah, 100%. I think it's, I'm constantly unlearning. I think, and I would almost phrase it in a way that feels a bit more true it's 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 less about unlearning it's more about evolving evolving my understanding of what photography can be has been maybe the most interesting um thing about the medium i've i never understood that it could be something so big in terms of impact towards the people you you've met but also in terms of awareness in terms of your own takeaway that healing that I 've spoken about, but also the adventure of it you know I don't mean to make this you know podcast feel traumatic it's been such a gift being a photographer because I've had a chance to really see the world in a very intimate way in a way that you know that i I can't imagine doing anything else with my life it's just such an adventure. And such a gift to be able to look at a map and just say there and not be scared of that unknown, but to know that you have a camera, you basically have a best friend who's going to get you anywhere. It's this backstage pass to, to the world. And all you have to do is, you know, uh, take it along. I mean, it's just like the coolest, <laughs> coolest feeling of, you know, wow. Like, I think that that that, um, childlike wonder has not left me. That's the exact thing that interested me in photography in the beginning. It's the same thing that interests me today. It's just deepened.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the kind of adventure sort of side of things, because you've really lived, it seems like a very nomadic life through your career as a photographer so far, like jumping between assignments all around the world, as well as your personal work, taking you to different places. And this year, obviously, in 2020 has been a year of being quite grounded um, and unable to move around the world as we previously were i wondered if that has shifted anything for you in terms of how you think about your work but also as your role as a photographer
2: um you know i i, th- I think the this feeling of constantly being on an airplane i struggle with it like i uh, there's a part of my personality that loves it and i th- i think i've had to become i've had to Be okay with this feeling that I'm not going to fit into this box. You know, I'm not going to be this. This is just, you know, when we talk about pressure, there is this pressure I have in me that I have to fit into a box. I have to have a family by the age of 30. Um, I really need to check off a few things for myself and do things a bit more conventionally. And then, and then I just pause and I just think, when has anything been conventional for you you do you you know and 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 whether that means you know you have a family at 40 or you never have a family it's just it's there's this pressure and I don't even think it's a pressure that anyone's you know put on me it's not coming from my family it's not coming from you know necessarily even society it's just it's just personally, you know, I want to know that I'm more than just this. And then I just look at this and I think this is this is fulfilling. <laughs> I'm so happy doing exactly what it is that I've done for the last decade. I just want to do it better. I want to give back much more and I want to do it on a bigger scale. And if all of those other things kind of happen for me, I'm not going to be blind You know, to them, I'm going to be welcoming of them because I'll be in a place where I'm ready for them. Um, You know, I don't think I was ready in my 20s to meet someone and really pause because I was on such a whirlwind of my own adventure. And I think right now I just feel so much more at peace with, you know, these sorts of things happening in my life. And a pandemic, for instance, you know, it completely um, shifted all of my. Ambitions (laughs) Ambitions <laughs> out the window, uh, shows out the window, book barely published, you know, and even if it didn't publish, even if none of this happened, I still got the biggest gift, which was making the work. And nobody can really take that away from me. i even if nobody saw these images or knew about the story, I already did the thing that was so important to me. And I think that when you're about the work, Everything else feels very little in comparison,
1: I love that It's funny you've just answered perfectly <laughs> the last the last question that I ask everybody, which is what matters more to you, the experience or the final photograph, but it very much seems like it's the experience for you,
2: yeah, hundred percent the experience i mean i just i love this feeling this 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 feeling of seeing the world a little differently of touching someone and of truly being vulnerable it's it's why I became a photographer and the moment when that stops and that doesn't become my fire I should be doing something else and I can't wait until that happens and is I'm very aware of the fact that not everything, you know, everything has a bit of a timeline. And I think there's going to be another iteration of, of me as an artist and it probably isn't going to be this nomadic, you know, wanderlust, um, you know, kid who just can't wait to be on an airplane. It's probably going to be somebody, you know, slightly different. And I can't wait for that iteration of me.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Deanna. It was so great to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.